This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. With all this warm weather we're having, many people will be hitting the patio to enjoy a cold beverage. What will be in their glasses? You might be surprised to learn that Ontario cider is skyrocketing in popularity. Today I'll talk to Robert Lee, owner and operator of Thornberry Cider. Plus, between historically low interest rates and declining workplace pensions, it's getting tougher and tougher to plan for a stable retirement. Investment expert Dr. Moshe Malevsky has a novel approach to retirement finances. We'll be talking about how to pensionize your nest egg. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Although society's views on sex have come a long way in the past few generations, research has found that millennials are having less sex than their boomer parents did. According to a study by San Diego State University, baby boomers and early Gen Xers have had the most sexual partners, an average of 11, while millennials born in the 1980s and 90s have had only an average of eight partners. This is also despite the fact that researchers found acceptance of premarital sex is at an all-time high. Meanwhile this week, Sir Elton John spoke at a U.S. Senate hearing in an effort to strengthen the support for the fight against AIDS. He told the Senate Appropriations Committee he believes AIDS can be eradicated in his lifetime, but only if the U.S. government continues funding the fight against the virus. Currently, the fight against AIDS amounts to 1% of the U.S. budget. Excited but aware of my age, so hoping that things go okay. That's 92-year-old World War II veteran Joy Lofthouse just before she returned to the skies in a Spitfire airplane. Joy is one of the few surviving women to have flown Spitfires during the Second World War. She was responsible for transporting the planes across Britain, often when they were in need of repair. She had a chance to return to the cockpit and take the controls seven decades after her last flight in the iconic plane. She described the experience as perfect and said it made her feel quite young. And finally, one of the world's most celebrated writers, Canada's Margaret Atwood, has been named a foreign honorary member of the American Academy of Arts and Letters. The 75-year-old author is best known for her dystopian novel, The Handmaid's Tale, and for such fiction as Cat's Eye and The Robber Bride. The Academy is an honor society based in New York. It was founded in 1898 with members over the years ranging from James Baldwin and William Faulkner to Leonard Bernstein and Jasper Johns. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
It's a conundrum Zoomers face when they start to live off their savings. How much can they withdraw without depleting the funds they will need for the future? Low investment returns, an uncertain economy, and declining workplace pensions are making the process all the more difficult. Dr. Moshe Malevsky has an innovative approach to retirement finances. He dropped by our studios to talk about his new book, Pensionize Your Nest Egg. The word retirement is a loaded term. I'll describe it as the point at which you have to start living off your investments as opposed to adding to it. One of the scariest things at retirement is how much can I afford to pull out this particular month for my portfolio. You know, when you have a paycheck, you have a compass. You know exactly what your income is going to be, and you know that you better not be spending too much more than that. In fact, you should probably be spending less than that because you want to save. So that compass tells you exactly how much is enough and how much you can afford to spend. That compass is completely gone once you reach retirement. When you no longer have a salary, you have no idea, can I afford to pull out $10,000 this month, $5,000 or $2,000? And by purchasing some sort of product that provides you with a pension, that gives you the guidance of how much you can afford to spend. And I think that's what really lacks. It's almost a psychological value as much as an economic value. We need a paycheck in retirement. I think that's the key message. Um, doesn't the amount you can pull out, doesn't so much of this depend on how long you're going to live? People are terrified of outliving their money. How much you can afford to pull out depends on how long you're going to live. It depends on how the stock market's going to do for the next 20 years. It depends on what the Bank of Canada is going to do for the next 10 years. It depends on healthcare, and you know none of them. You have a huge cloud of uncertainty. And because of that uncertainty, you can't just guess what each one is going to be and base it on that. You have to convert it in something that actually does the guesswork for you. And I, that's why I believe pensionizing a part of the nestic is so important. You don't want to worry about that in your golden years. Let the insurance company worry about it. They send you the fixed, predictable paycheck. Let them take the risk, not you. What are these products that you should convert to? I would suggest that people go to an insurance company and purchase some sort of pension from them, whether it's a life annuity or an annuity that provides some sort of guaranteed income for life or an annuity that provides some sort of predictable income flow plus upside potential. And I think we need more innovation in that space. And that's really one of the main messages in the book. It's not just that people should go out and do this. I think insurance companies have to be more innovative and offer a wider selection of retirement income products. When you take a look at the instruments we have available for saving money, there are hundreds of them. Mutual funds, stocks, bonds, exchange-traded funds, GICs, the list goes on and on and on. We have hundreds of instruments to save money. When you get to retirement, you have very, very little choice. You either are told you have a life annuity, or you can do a RIF, or you can do some sort of systematic withdrawal plan. It's like going to a supermarket with three items. I've been around the world. There are countries that have many more products that are available for deaccumulation than we have here in Canada. So I'll give you one example. Here's a suggestion. You get to retirement, you have a very valuable house with a substantial amount of home equity. You go to the bank and you take out a shared appreciation mortgage. And the way this works is they give you some money that you can spend in retirement, and in exchange, they take a percentage ownership of your house. This is not a mortgage. They own 20% of your house. And if and when you sell that house, they'll get 20% of the profit, you get 80%. If real estate prices continue to go through the roof, they benefit. If real estate prices fall, they share in some of the pain. Is that like a reverse mortgage? A reverse mortgage is 100% debt which is scary to many seniors. This is not debt at all, it's equity. And what I'm arguing is that banks should allow people more easily to have an equity ownership in the house. 
We need to give Canadians more choice at retirement to do things such as what I just described. And there are other suggestions in the book as well in allowing products that aren't quite available now that people haven't quite thought of. But when you pause for a moment, you say, you know what? Yeah, maybe that may not be a bad idea. Where does this exist? In the UK, for example. In London, you can get one of these mortgages. Uh, these were actually quite popular uh, for people that said, you know what, I want to buy a house, but it's very expensive. But if somebody's willing to come in with me as a partner, I'd be able to afford it. So they use it in the accumulation phase as well as the income phase. Okay, let's talk about other countries. So first yeah. of all, you have a very interesting table comparing uh, retirement pensions here and in other westernized countries. We're talking about government pensions. So what did you find? Well, you know, the amount of income that we receive from CPP uh, is relatively low compared to other countries. Uh, When you add in CPP and OAS and GIS and you take a look at the clawbacks that you have from those types of products, uh, the amount of income that you receive from government pensions is lower than it is in most other countries, developed countries. If you happen to be much lower than the median wage in Canada you're actually going to be better off in retirement than your compatriots in the U.S. and possibly than you were when you were working. If you are earning more than the median wage, they are going to actually be in the exact opposite situation. They're going to have a lower standard of living once they've reached their retirement years, especially compared to their relatives in the U.S. Do you think our system has to be rejigged? I mean, we just had some changes in the budget that affect Zoomers and their savings. Look, I think that anything that helps people save more money in a tax-sheltered way uh, and accumulate more money after tax, I think that's a great idea. I'm hoping we can create a dialogue about what products should exist for the retirement income market. That's really what I'm hoping to do with these books. Okay, well, I hope you do that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pensionize Your Nest Egg, How to Use Product Allocation to Create a Guaranteed Income for Life, is published by Wiley. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, we'll return to learn about what's set to be the big trend on bar patios this summer, Ontario Cider. When you decide to crack a cold one this summer, chances are you won't necessarily be reaching for a beer. Cider is the fastest-growing beverage category in the LCBO, and there are now 19 craft cideries in Ontario alone, up from just one in 2008. What's behind the new popularity of the sparkly drink? I sat down with Robert Lee, owner of Thornberry Cider. I think it's a refreshing drink made from pure apple juice and people care about what they put in their, their bodies. And uh, if you're going to drink an alcoholic beverage, cider is as natural as you can get. It seems to be fairly low in alcohol content. Does that come into it? Well, it's, it's any, it can be anywhere from 3% to 5.3%, which is 5.3% is about the same as a beer. I think that probably influences uh, some of the drinkers in that it's less alcohol and, and uh, they can, they can uh, consume it without being afraid of, uh, of driving. They can have one or two. But again, is it just a matter of sort of hitting the right time? I mean, we've seen the market for craft beers explode. Is, is that all part of it, that people want to be local? Yeah, I think people are, are looking for a local product made from, from local ingredients. And um, Ontario Craft Cider is just that. We have, I think there's over 10,000 acres of apples grown in Ontario. And most of the craft cideries in Ontario use uh, apples from Ontario. So I think that's part of it, people, the, the, uh, the move to buy local. I think that people 
are experiencing cider for the first time, and it is a refreshing drink. And and once they try it, um, you know, no, there's nothing like a, a, a cider over ice sitting on your dock at the cottage on a very hot day. It's it is refreshing. It's like drinking apple juice uh, with uh, with a little bit of alcohol in it. And uh, Canadians just weren't aware of of cider. What should you pair cider with? I mean. Do you have it with cheese? Is, are there certain foods that it yep. goes with? Cider is great with uh, all sorts of cheeses, light cheeses. It is great with uh, fish. A lot of people use it in, you know, how they have a white wine and garlic sauce for, for mussels. Well, people do a cider and garlic sauce for mussels um, and drink cider with it. It's, it's great with fish. It's great with uh, poultry. It's uh, it's good with red meat as well. So uh, certainly great with a light si- a salad and a, and a light lunch. It can really be paired with anything as far as food is concerned. And um, has it entered kind of the gastronomic? Yeah, thing? I think it has. We have a spike in sales in at uh, Thanksgiving. It's good with turkey. Um, we have a spike in sales at Christmas. It's good with turkey. <laughs> um, um, big spike in sales in the summertime because of you know ice cold, refreshing drink. And you know you do a, a wine tasting while people are doing cider tastings. There's enough uh, Ontario craft ciders out there that that people want to try more than one. Are there big differences between the different brews? Yeah, there are. I would say there's probably three styles of cider. There's a bitter cider, an English-style cider, which is a, a more bitter cider. There is a, um, a sweet cider, um, and then there is a dry champagne-like cider. I think that would, those would be the three, uh, three categories, and people like them for different reasons. The difficult part with tasting ciders in in Ontario and Canada is there's a bunch of ciders out there that aren't truly ciders. They're apple flavored drinks. They're not. They're not ciders. They're not made with apple juice. And so probably 95% of Ontario craft ciders they make it with fresh pressed apple juice. What style of cider is yours? We're a, a light uh, champagne style cider. Um, we uh, we only use uh, we use pure apple juice 100% in our cider and. We and it's fresh pressed. Our 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 juice is barely three days old when it goes into our fermentation tanks, and um, we use champagne yeast. So um, ours is a little more uh, bubbly, and and uh, it drinks like a like a fine champagne. How long do you leave it in the tanks? Fermentation for ours can be anywhere from thirty days to to forty five days, depending on the makeup of the juice at the time. As apples get older sitting in the storage, they're, they're, the makeup changes and we have to adjust how long we ferment. And then we age it for another 30 to 45 days. That's also a sign of a, a good cider. There's ciders that are made in seven days. Um, you're not going to get a smooth, uh, light tasting cider in seven days. Uh, 60 to 90 days is, is uh, probably the period that it takes to make a good cider. Is the difference among the three styles of cider just uh, a matter of sugar? Um, no, it's not just a matter of sugar. It's how they finish the cider. Because once the cider is, is finished and aged, um, then you go into a, a mixing or a blending process because it comes out of the out of the aging process depending on the, the makeup of the juice starting the process and what kind of yeast you use. The alcohol content could be anywhere from 4% to 9%. So cider masters finish their cider with different ways. So, you know, the bitter cider... They don't add juice at the end, and it's what comes out of the, the tank, basically. A sweeter side, they'll finish with, with sugar at the end and add water to get the alcohol content down to their desired level. We finish with, with pure apple juice again. So at the end of the process, in the mixing, we add apple juice to get our alcohol content down to, to the 5.3%. And you don't add sugar? Nope. 
Anything else you want to add for this summer's cider drinking season? Well, I would just encourage people to get out there and try um, uh, different Ontario ciders and figure out what their what their palate likes. It's just like wine. You, uh, uh, some people don't like red wine. Some people don't like white wine. You don't know until you've tried it. And there's some incredible ciders available made here in Ontario. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Ontario Cider Week kicks off at the end of the month. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break, and then it's back to celebrate Billy Joel's birthday. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your international arts date book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, images of Hollywood's sexiest starlets are on display at the Stanley Wise Gallery. I want to be loved by you, just you, nobody else but you. A collection of pictures by iconic photographer Burt Stern offers a rare glimpse of Marilyn Monroe, Elizabeth Taylor, Kate Moss, among others. In the Windy City... Jane Austen's charming romance, Sense and Sensibility, has been turned into a musical by Tony Award-nominated composer Paul Gordon. It's at the Chicago Shakespeare Theatre. To London, England, where art and nature collide in an exhibition called Painting Paradise, the Art of the Garden. It's at the Queen's Gallery in Buckingham Palace. And in Paris, a new exhibition illustrates the complex relationship between Napoleon Bonaparte and France's capital. Napoleon and Paris is at the Musée Carnavale. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Book. This weekend, Zoomer icon Billy Joel is celebrating his 66th birthday. He's been an internationally renowned artist since releasing his first hit song, Piano Man, in 1973. Joel has had 33 top 40 hits in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, all of which he wrote himself. He's also a six-time Grammy Award winner who has been nominated for 23 Grammys throughout his career. Billy Joel retired from rock and roll songwriting after he released his last album, River of Dreams, in 1993. Still, the Zoomer icon continues to tour around the world playing hit songs from his lengthy career to large stadium audiences. Right now, we'll travel back to 1980 and hear the number one song from his album, Glass Houses. Here is It's Still Rock and Roll to Me. What's the matter with the clothes on? That was Billy Joel with It's Still Rock and Roll to Me. Joel celebrated his 66th birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. I'll be away next weekend. Jane Brown will be filling in. Be sure to tune in and stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bandrill. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.